you so much, John. Three services is uh, difficult to do. <laughs> Singing-wise, preaching-wise, it's the whole, whole deal is uh, it's rewarding, but it's, it is hard. And so we're excited if you're watching us online. Um, I apologize if I told you we were watching at 9.30, but you were not watching at 9.30 because we were not li- live streaming at 9.30. So we are streaming now. Um, so I was mistaken. But if you're watching us online, man, thank you so much for joining in with us. Uh, there are some links in the comment section if you'd like to fill out one of those Connect cards and um, fill out that out digitally. You can totally do that. It would be awesome to connect with you. Um, if not, that's okay too. So I'm always leery about starting off a sermon when my parents may or may not be in the room, especially when the opening illustration has to do with them. So here goes. Um, so growing up, my parents uh, always had certain phrases or sayings that, um, for me and my brother, usually they were corrective sayings of some sort. Uh, but being seven years younger than my brother, it was nice to watch him do things and see his actions and take mental notes uh, of the correction from my parents. And um, evidently I didn't take enough notes, but that, we'll leave that there. Uh, but there were, there were two sayings that, that, that they said that, man, just engraved in my heart and, and burnt into my brain. And one of those, and those of you that are parents, or maybe your parents said this to you, like, you ever heard, if you use the phrase, garbage in, garbage out? Anybody heard that or said that? Anyway, oh, I've got a couple, look at you. And so if we heard that, like, one time we heard that a billion times. Really, I think it was more of my brother that heard it than I did, but I still feel like I heard it a lot. And I'm, while I'm not really sure what that garbage was that was going in, they were absolutely, like, 100% certain that that garbage was going to come out. And so um, kudos, Mike and Kay, for uh, being, uh, holding fast to your convictions there. Um, and, you know, I don't even know what it was. Like, it was probably something, I mean, I'm sure it was something inappropriate we were listening to, like the Thriller album or Nirvana or something um, that was just, we thought it was going to be a very positive influence on our life at the time, and it was obviously not. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, the, so, but the one that I remember the most, man, that I will forever be annoyed by, yet surprisingly grateful, was the one that my mom always said, and she knows exactly what I'm about to say, is the truth will set you free. Man, if I heard that one time, I heard that, like, literally, my, especially my teenage years, like, every morning. It seemed like that was the phrase, like, hey, the truth will set you free. And, uh, you know, truth is a big deal. In the, in the context of telling the truth... Man, the truth is, is an absolute, because evidently I was a compulsive little liar, the truth is absolutely a big deal. And my mom especially constantly reminded us to tell the truth. And truth matters, right? In the context of the scriptures, truth is absolutely everything. And as we continue in our series in Titus, uh, a word from your elders, uh, we're, we're going to look back at Paul's uh, pastoral letter to Titus. We know that Titus was dealing with a, a, a constant uh, pushback. He was dealing with uh, this, this constant opposition uh, from men that were ungodly, um, from men that were adding things to the Scripture. They were adding untruths to the Scriptures. And Paul has instructed Titus to, to keep with his task of, and appoint elders for all the churches that were under his care, right? And John Hall, if you were here last week or you watched last week, John Hall did a fantastic job of walking us through the qualifications for the elders. And it kind of leads us to where we're going to pick up in, in verse 10 of chapter 1 in the letter of Paul to Titus. 
So if you have your copy of God's Word, you can go ahead and stand and turn over to Titus chapter 1, and we're going to be reading verses 10 through 16. Titus chapter 1, verse 10 through 16. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, and that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. You guys can be seated. So we start off there in, in verse 10, and we look, what, what does he say there? He says 4, which connects us back to verse 9. And, and we're not going to read all of that, but as we look at verse 9, it's, it's the verse that talks about the elders, how they must hold tight or must hold firm to the word so that they can give sound doctrine, so they can give instruction, sound doctrine, and be able to rebuke those who contradict it. And so Paul is reminding Titus here that, hey, there, there are many, there are many that are not listening. There are many who, who, are, uh, who are talking just to hear themselves talk. There are many who are posting things on Facebook without actually knowing the facts. And then he says, especially, especially the circumcision party. And so what we have here is a, a group of Jewish believers in Crete, and we're only talking like 50, 60 AD-ish. And so we're, we're pretty young into this, this thing. And, and so there were a lot of new Christians. There were, you, you have some, um, and if you have someone who's got a, a, a major background, maybe generations they come from generations of Jewish law and, and embedded in their brains, there's going to be some difficult moments. There's going to be some, some trying times. There's going to be some need for correction and rebuking. And Paul is telling Titus, he says, this is why I left you in Crete. You have to get some elders appointed in every town, every place where we planted churches. You've got to get these guys in place. Guys that know the scripture, guys that are, that are willing and able to be able to filter things out so that those that are, who are trying to deceive you can be rebuked. And since the scripture says that they were insubordinate or rebellious, we know that, that most likely that's leading us to, uh, is telling that this is coming from within the church. And so this was not Paul's first uh, run-in with this group either. Okay, Paul was very familiar with this group um, uh, the, 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 of Judaizers, and, and he was very familiar with the Judaizers, Jesus plus something theology. Okay? He was very familiar with, with their Jesus plus something theology. They were, they were always going back to their traditions, and they would begin, what would happen is they would begin mashing up their laws and their dietary restrictions and all these things that had to do with, with works, and they would begin to mash that together with Paul's gospel, and before you knew it, you'd have this Jesus plus something gospel, a Jesus plus circumcision, a Jesus plus food laws, a Jesus plus tradition. And Paul is telling Titus, man, you have got to get some guys in place because it's here, it's here, it's, it's in your place, and it's being taught, and it's a false gospel, and it has to be dealt with. 
And you know, there, there's a reason why you don't hear from a lot of different folk in this pulpit. I mean, you hear from our lead pastor, uh, for the most part, our lead elder, Cody. Uh, you'll hear from our elders during the elder, like usually July we do some type of word from your elders. You'll hear from, you know, John and myself when Cody's absent. And you know, there's a reason you don't hear a lot from that. And you, unless Cody's under some weird surgery thing that happens about every other quarter or so. Uh, <laughs> but, but for the most part, you, you, there's, we, we hold very close to heart this pulpit. And, and what's being taught here. There's a reason why we don't do every popular Bible study that Lifeway puts out. There's, there's a reason why we don't do every song that you may hear on the radio and in the Christian con- contemporary music world. And it's because your elders are, being, are, are watching and being very cautious and careful of everything that's being taught, everything that's being sung, everything that's being brought into this church. You know, our core, one of our core values, the first one is to start with the word, right? Start with the word. And, and it's a big deal to us. And it's, it's a big deal, that, and we're starting with that word because it must not be compromised. When we look at verse 11, um, Paul, Paul, like he does often, but he, he, he goes on and uses some pretty strong language here, right? He says they must be silenced. And, and think like muzzle, think like a muzzle, you know, or if you want to think like in, uh, to make it nowadays, uh, think like a mask, you know, whatever. And so, anyways, he, he's saying this because it, they must be silenced because it's upsetting entire families. And, and given the context of the time and the scripture that was written, it was most likely we're talking about a house church here. Think community groups. Think our, our, our Sunday night community groups whenever they start back again. Um, but that's what we're talking about. And, and so it's, we're not talking about a single person here or a single person there. We're talking about entire households and because that's where the primary teaching of the Scriptures was done during that time. And these people coming in preaching their untruths, their false gospels, were ruining uh, these house churches and teaching this Jesus plus something theology. And they were doing it, why? What's the Scripture say? For shameful gain, right? They were doing it for shameful gain. And Paul says, man, you've got to confront their motive for ministry. You've got to absolutely confront their motive for ministry. And what was their motive for ministry? It's money. It's money, right? And boy, do we see that with false teachers today, don't we? False teachers love their money. And you've probably got that person in your brain that you saw something on Facebook about this week, like that crazy eye looking something. Uh, I mean, there's probably somebody in your brain right now. I mean, I, sadly, I did some, probably shouldn't have done this because it put me in a bad spot, but I, was, I did some Googling this week. I mean, some of these people's net worth, man, it's ridiculous. I mean, we're talking second and third world countries where their pastor's net worth is like multi-million dollars, yet their congregation is starving. It's, it's crazy. I mean, there's even, I mean, there's even a pastor in Atlanta that's, that's quoted saying, well, I mean, you're, you're, you're a fool for God, so you might as well be a rich fool. Okay, you're probably the one that Paul was talking about needs to put a muzzle on it, okay? That's, and that's nuts. Uh, but they were teaching this Jesus plus something theology. Paul then goes on to do something that, I mean, obviously we know Paul's an absolute genius. He's a brilliant writer, an incredible um, everything that he did, but he does something really neat here. Uh, he, he quotes a well-known, highly esteemed 6th uh, century Cretan philosopher. Think like the most popular dude from ever from Crete, okay? He's, he's going to quote this guy, and um, it, it'd be like somebody quoting Mike Nunley from Abel. He's obviously the most popular person from that area. 
Um, but as, as you look at this, he, 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 what does he say there? He says, and we would never say that about an Abelian, right? Um, so, but he's, he's looking at the, the people of Crete and he's saying, man, their Cretans are always liars. They're, they're evil beasts. They're lazy gluttons. Quite the, quite the description coming from your, like, your best person from your town, right? Your most popular. That's kind of odd that he would describe them that way, right? I mean, don't miss the application here because Paul is not saying that everybody from Crete is a lazy glutton or an evil beast. Okay? He's not saying that. He's saying that these false teachers that are coming in, because you'll see that in just a minute when we get to 13. Um, but, man, you, we, we can't have these types of teachers. You know, if they will lie to themselves, they will lie to you. And, and like the evil beasts, think, think like they will tear things apart at any cost with no thought, no, no concern whatsoever for others. They simply live a life in such a way that is controlled by their own passions, by their own hunger, their own lust. They were overfed. They had zero disciplines in their life. And they were only concerned with what they could consume. And they were indeed lazy gluttons. And when you take these things into consideration, Paul's saying, look, these are the people we've got to respond to. These are the people that we've got to get a hold on and rebuke. And we see in verse 13, he, just, he starts off and says, yeah, and, I, and this statement is true. He says, I agree completely with the Cretan philosopher. This statement, this testimony is true. And he sends a very direct message to Titus here, right? What does he say? He says, rebuke them sharply. And this is the same type of language or the same type of rebuke that he's speaking of in verse 9 when he's given the qualifications of the elders. So Paul's solution is pretty to the point, right? There's not a whole lot of gray area right there. Rebuke them sharply. That's that's true. There you go. If you're looking for what to do, that's what you need to do. Rebuke them sharply. And we see Dr. Dr. Danny Aiken, he's the president of Southeastern Seminary, he calls it um, spiritual surgery. So the way that a a surgeon would cut away the infectious tissue uh, that puts the entire body in danger, that's what we have to do. That's what we must do to remove the toxic teaching. That's what he was telling Titus. That's what you've got to do to, to the people that are, are, are speaking untruths and false gospels. Uh, Aiken goes on to say this, and I want to quote this. He says, what is our goal in performing spiritual surgery? It is pastoral. It is redemptive. It is so that those who are self-deceived and deceiving others may be sound in faith. We cut to cure. We operate to liberate those trapped in the quicksand of spiritual bondage and malnutrition. We confront, but we confront in love. We love them enough to we love them enough to point out their error with the hope of their recovery to spiritual health and vitality. And if you've ever had this experience, the experience of either giving rebuke or being rebuked, it's not necessarily the most exciting experience. It's not exactly something you look forward to. Um, and it's not something that, that really you wake up in the morning rearing to go because you're going to get rebuked today. Um, but I had a, uh, <clears throat> had a dear brother come to me uh, a while back, and it's been some time now, that we, that we had been singing a song, or I had, I had been singing a song. Uh, we had been doing a song that, that, was, that was very good. It was very moving. It was very scripturally sound. Uh, it went through kind of the primary doctrines of the faith, and it even talked about missions at the end, so it kind of left you on this high note, made you feel good, and it was, it was really a great song. But, and I was familiar. There was one line in it that, that I knew there was in, in a specific 
you know, churchy world people, there was a, a group of people that had an issue with this one line. And I kind of read up on it, and I thought, you know, I think they're taking that too far. That's, I don't, I don't, I don't know, man, that's, that's too much. I mean, I, so I had a brother come to me and basically lovingly call me out on it. And my first instinct was like, look, I'm the music guy. Look, I mean, you can't even sing. Trust me, I've heard you sing. But, but I didn't say that. I didn't say that. <clears throat> I thought, you know, I'm familiar with what he's talking about. And honestly, the line really flirted with a specific theological thought that I was somewhat aware of, but there was a heretical movement of some sorts that was attached to that on the backside that I was not familiar with. And so I heard him out, I studied up on it, and I removed the song from my personal playlist. And I'll tell you that to say that, that that was a difficult conversation. It was probably a difficult conversation for him because he didn't know how I was going to respond. But thank God that you know, I knew his heart. He came, it was a difficult conversation, but he came to me in love. I knew his heart. But that toxic teaching had no business being sung in the church. And I knew that once I, once I was, saw that from that light. And so when we look on it in verse 14, Paul says this. He says, the commands of people who turn away from the truth. The literal phrase, commandments of men. He was recalling from Isaiah 29, 13, when he says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Now, Jesus referenced this text, uh, this exact passage when he was speaking to the Pharisees in Mark 7. Uh, again, in Matthew 15, 8, he, uh, when they were discussing a dispute about being clean or unclean when it came to religious ceremonies. And church, hear me out on this. When we hold tight to human traditions or commandments, we will become those who reject the truth. When we hold tight to human traditions or commandments, we will become those who reject the truth. And so in the last couple of verses of chapter 1, we really see that how we believe, for the most part, directly affects our behavior. What we believe directly affects our behavior. If, if you have so sound doctrine, you will have good works. Bad doctrine, heresy, false teaching, that does nothing but contaminate. And it is essential in the church that we have elders in place that are able to instruct sound doctrine and to rebuke everything that contradicts it. It is essential that we have those things in place. And a lot of times it's going to come from within. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's the Red Riding Hood illustration that Micah said, leaned over to me and said, he's going to eat her. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> maybe you need to read the rest of the story. Uh, but it was quite funny. But it's, it's, it's this whole concept of a wolf in sheep's clothing, a, a cup that is sparkling clean on the outside, but on the inside it's got mold in it. It's disgusting. It's a smooth, empty-talking, religious deceiver. Now, C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. Of all bad men, religious bad men are the, are the worst. You see, when, whenever Paul would preach God's grace through the work of Jesus, whenever, whatever he was preaching this or teaching this, he was always confronted by those who preached the, a false gospel of works righteousness. He knew that this was a dangerous influence and, and that, that adding anything to the free gift of grace would do absolutely nothing but distort it. 
He knew that was a big deal. And Jesus said it best in Mark 17 when he's talking to the Pharisees about traditions and commandments. He says, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. Church, let me caution you. Be careful how high that you hold tradition and where that ranks in your life. Be careful how, how close you hold tradition to your heart. And so we know in this, in this passage, 10 through 16, that, that Paul is specifically calling out the Judaizers because we see the, the circumcision, circumcision party, we see the Jewish myths reference. Um, but, and he, we know that he was calling them out because they were adding works to grace. And can we just get real for a couple of minutes as we're getting close to being done? How often do we talk and act like the Judaizers? How often do we act like these Judaizers? Now, now you may think, <laughs> you may say, well, Andrew, it's not like we're, we're, we're every new convert or every new person that applies for membership here is we require circumcision, okay? Obviously, we know that would bring numbers drastically down. Um, there, there's not probably a single one of you that would be willing to give up the group, uh, the food group, bacon. For the, I mean, maybe some of you, but, I mean, that's a pretty big food group because um, we know bacon's its own food group, right? But we're not saying that, but, but let's get a little closer to home. Maybe it's your friends or family whom you know is following a false gospel. A Jesus plus the sacraments. Maybe a Jesus plus church attendance. Oh. Maybe it's a Jesus plus good works. Maybe it's a Jesus plus a lot of faith. Maybe it's a Jesus plus confirmation or tradition, whatever that looks like. Man, I had a gut-wrenching conversation a couple of weeks ago with a really good friend of mine, man, a young man that I love dearly, that I have the utmost respect for. But one of the most difficult conversations I've had probably in the last five to ten years is when I had to sit at a table across from him, hear his thought process on, on, on the scriptures, and, and for me to tell him, look him in the eye and tell him, and I believe that the Bible teaches exactly opposite of what you're teaching or what you're talking about. I believe you're following a false gospel. And when, I, when those words came out of my mouth, I, it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. But he needed to hear that. Let's zoom in a little closer. Maybe it's not dietary laws, okay? We know maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's something you're adding to the gospel. I want you to think for a minute. Maybe it's something you're adding to Jesus. Could it be as simple as something like clothing? I mean, you hear the whole, you know, Sunday, the whole Sunday best thing, and when someone doesn't do that, that it's a distraction to you, and maybe you look down on them because they're not dressed a certain way, or maybe you're the exact opposite, where like you're like anti-Sunday best dressers, and you make it known by getting home and putting on Facebook that, that only God can judge you, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's simple things like times and dates of services. You know, like, well, look, we, we don't even know when we're meeting now. Like, so if you've got to hang up with that, I'm sorry. I really am. I wish I knew when we were meeting. Um, but just show up. We're going to have service at some point in the mornings on Sundays. But, but you know, there's people out there, man, that, that, that man, if you move their service time, then you're going to have a revolt from 25% of the congregation. Maybe it's race or politics that you're adding in. Maybe it's as simple as tithing. Maybe you're one of these that, like, 
you, you forget the tithe one week or, or maybe you're out of town and you think, oh, oh man, God is, God is going to get his this week. What's going to happen? I'm going to have a blowout on the way to work. And, I'm, and you live in this fear that something is going to happen to you because you didn't do something. I mean, guys, there, there are millions and millions of things that we think that we must do or say in order to be right with God. Man, why is that? Why, do we, why in the world do we do that? We know it's not right. We know that's not in the Scripture. But there are things that we think, these traditions and these other things that, that we think the inner minds that we must do, that we must have in our life in order to be right with God. Why is that? Man, could it be that this Bible Belt legalistic mentality that we ourselves are taking part of a Jesus plus something theology? Could it be we're, could it be that we're adding something to the gospel that's not there? And therefore becoming no different than the people of Crete. Man, you, listen, listen to me, guys. We're almost done. You, you do not have to live suppressed, defeated, locked-down lives. You don't have to do that. And, and what's crazy is, in fact, there is a new, unique freedom that is only found in Christ Jesus. And the elders, and specifically in this context, our elders, they are a gift to our church and to, to help us to continue to live in freedom and the joy of the gospel instead of trying to add our own righteousness to Jesus. The elders, our elders are here to help remind us over and over and over again that Jesus is enough. To protect us from those who would otherwise oppress us with, with the very law that Jesus has set us free from. Church, listen, you are set free in Christ. You are set free in Christ. Don't live that defeated, lockdown life. Don't believe that lie. And so this, this whole idea of confrontation, this whole idea of re rebuking, that it, it, it's not simple. It's not easy. It's definitely not fun. But, is, but it is absolutely essential when the gospel is at stake. It's absolutely essential. And we cannot back down, guys. We cannot hide. We cannot run away. We must stand and fight with all of our strength. We must be armed with the truth. And listen, this is the key. Love must be what motivates us. Love has to be what motivates us in those moments. And we do this with a pure life, like what we see in verse 15. What does it say? That to the pure, all things are pure. We do this with a, a pure life. And why in the world do we even do this? That's the question. That's, that's the hook. Why, why do we even care? Why do we do this? Why is it such a big deal to us? We do this so we can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the enemy and rescue the captive. And we, play, we pay close attention to the words of Jude. What it says there at the end of Jude, it says, Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Guys, I'm here to tell you this morning that the truth matters. Truth mattered in the 60s A.D. Truth mattered 25 years ago to a young teenage Andrew. Truth matters today as we preach the truth, and truth will matter for all of eternity. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray together.
Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.